This is Straight Ahead with the 606 Club of London and David Lewis. How are you? This is the 606 Club Straight Ahead Show, and I'm David Lewis. The track we just listened to was from multi-instrumentalist John Paul Gard, who's been busy recording albums. That was from one of his recent sets, 2020, and we just listened to the classic track by Jeff Lorber, Rain Dance. Next, I've got a track from an artist that has appeared with us at the Six, actually, when she was living over in London. She's now back in the US, in Boston, I believe. She's got an EP due out in May. I'm talking of Jane Kearney, and the track that's going to be the lead single from that EP is this, Writing on Water. Thank you. 
wind is strong today Nobody's outside but the birds of prey They circle gracefully While we stay inside Oh!
Jane Kearney's lead single from her upcoming EP, Writing on Water. Our guest this week is vocalist Sarah Jane Morrison. Boy, oh boy, she led one hell of a varied life. And we're going to be hearing all about that. Uh, it really is a colourful, colourful life that she's led. And we've got the first part of that interview coming up in around about 20 minutes' time. You can expect to hear tracks this week from the likes of Wildcard. A couple of tracks and a brand new album from Zoe Gilby, which is called Aurora, from John Ray Trio. And also this from an American jazz pianist, band leader and producer based over in Southern California. Somebody I'm hoping to sit down with and chat with actually over the next couple of weeks. So you'll hear the interview, I'm hoping, in April. She's worked alongside the likes of Christian McBride and Antonio Sanchez. I'm speaking of Lisa Hilton. And here she is from a track from her album Chalkball Destiny. And this is Sympathy for Blues. Thank you. 
live streaming with us at the club this weekend. On Saturday, we've got Julian Stringle along with Jackie Hicks and on Sunday, Gwyneth Herbert. So I've got tracks from all of them on the show this week. We're going to hear from Julian and Jackie together later on during the show. But here is Julian by himself with a track called Nut Roaster. Thank you. 
During this week's show, we'll be hearing once again from Julian, and he'll be accompanied along with Jackie Hicks. Last week on Straight Ahead, we had the first UK airplay from the new single from Wildcard. It features as a special guest Blue Note recording artist and on soprano sax, Marcus Strickland. The single was actually released this week on Wednesday, Wednesday the 24th of March. You can get your copy now, and here is their single, Aleppo Express. Thank you. 
wildcard and Aleppo Express. So as we now have a roadmap out of lockdown, our intention currently at the club is that we're going to be opening to the public once again from Thursday the 20th of May. And as per last year, there's going to be live music at the club Thursday through Sunday, of which the Saturday and Sunday evenings will be live streamed. But obviously keep your eyes on the website 606club.co.uk just in case things should change once again. So I mentioned early on in the show, we've got a couple of tracks and a brand new album from Zoe Gilby, who we had on with us last year. The album's called Aurora, and it's inspired by the instrumental compositions of award-winning Grammy-nominated US trumpeter Tom Harrell. It features four exceptional jazz musicians in the names of on trumpet and flugelhorn, Noel Dennis. On double bass, you've got Andy Champion, guitarist Mark Williams, and the drums of Russ Morgan. It was recorded in January of last year at the Loft Music Studios in Newcastle. This is the first of two tracks on this week's show, and it is Forget the Past. Forget the past, embrace the morning light. The dewy haze, the lights are bright and day arrives. A dawning break, don't hesitate. Step it up and pave the way. Pick up your pace, the whole world passes by. To catch a glance, regrets will never try. The leaves unfold as blossom grows. Make the most before it goes. A passing charm. Lovers walk arm in arm, illuminate. I wish to make where the grass is always greener, the April mist, the future promises. Another kiss, a chance you cannot miss. A timeless place, the rules run late, the adventure never Pick up your pace, the whole world passes by 
such a glance, regrets will never try. The leaves unfold as blossom grows, make the most before it goes. A passing charm, lovers walk arm in arm. Grass is always greener, the April mist, the future promises. Another kiss, a chance you cannot miss. A timeless place, the rules were laid, the adventure never from Zoe's new album, Aurora, later on in this week's show. So it is time now that we uh, meet this week's guest, who I said was Sarah Jane Morris, with one hell of a story to tell. We're going to start the interview off with one of her songs, Feel the Love. You're listening to me, David Lewis, on the 606 Club Straight Ahead Show. If you want to know what's happening at The Six, check out the website at 606club.co.uk.
It's time that I introduce our guest to you this week on Straight Ahead, and it is singer, songwriter, traveller and mother, Sarah Jane Moy. Sarah, hello. Hello there. How are you keeping? Well, I'm sort of keeping a little bit of sanity in these strange <laughs> times, just should, a little. Should we kind of start at the end rather than at the beginning? This year then, right. when it all suddenly went very, very quiet and many yeah, well, gigs were cancelled, how were yeah. things looking for you? Well, I had a strange year because I actually took January, well, I did Ronnie Scott's at the beginning of the year and then I took January, February, March off because I was going to have my first knee replacement. And then... Um, I found out that you couldn't fly for three months, so I had to cancel the operation because mm -hmm. I'd got a tour starting in Italy, starting in March. So, of course, cancelled that operation, and then the whole world was cancelled. And so, yeah, I was about to go off on a six-month tour. Um, uh, a music when, show, uh, gigging, locked, work, yeah, gigging yeah. all around the world. Oh. So uh, it was uh, it was a bit of a a shock. Yeah, I bet it was. I mean, so you obviously lost the operation and the gigs as well. And so suddenly and had all, the gigs this, as well. all this time on your hand. Yeah. I mean, there was a, there has been a positive for me because uh, normally I'm working so hard. I'm, I'm on four flights a week on an, on an average and uh, very rarely at home. And mm. we moved home a year ago and it's actually allowed me to be at home. To be at home. To have some kind of routine. I've never had a routine before. Uh, so, so how's that, you know, I mean, how's that been for you then? That must be quite strange. I mean, the life of an average musician is quite nomadic insofar as, you know, it's late nights, four or five nights a week. But for yeah. you, suddenly, as you say, four or five flights a week, suddenly yes. being forced to be at home. Yeah. Is that I, a good I, thing? or? I, I've, I, it's been good and bad. Where we live is by the sea. So that's kind of kept me sane, my mm -hmm. walks by the sea or my hobbles by the sea because of the knees. <laughs> Still like the knees, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I find some in inspiration from that. But, you know, the fact that I could, could regularly exercise, that I could sit down and write. I've been writing an autobiography just, just to actually be at home in my own bed mm -hmm. on a regular basis. I've enjoyed. I'm now ready for that not to be the case. But. It, it, some of it has worked for me, except the fear of no money. I mean, that's terrifying to have had a whole year of no earnings. No earnings that's, at all. And, and, you know, even though one is having one's concerts moved forward to next year, we, we have no idea of, if many of those venues will still be open. You know, no, I mean, and, it's, it's but there's that. And also, of course, the very nature of live gigs still might be different in the future yeah, yeah. because of the way that live streaming has taken. I know it's not great for the clubs, but I don't know if none of us know yet if the consuming public are going to begin to take that as the way they want to consume music. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I mean, I did I did three concerts at home with my because my son moved home at the same time. His business went down the pan. And so he moved home and he's a singer songwriter. And so he and I did three at home concerts mm -hmm. where we live streamed. Mm -hmm. And for the first one, we, cause we did it for the food bank. We actually raised nearly 3000 pounds. So that wow. was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But then as the, the, the months went on, not so many people streamed because of course they had the opportunity to watch everyone around the world streaming. So it, it then got tougher. But it, it, it's, it was interesting. I, I'll still carry on doing home concerts, you know, because to have mother and son performing mm. together is a really lovely a USP, thing. Yeah, yeah. But but I live streamed from Ronnie Scott's in back in I think it was in September with two with my two musicians, two of my musicians, 
And that felt really weird. There's nobody in the club. I was just going to ask, what was your take on doing that? It was very weird. Uh, but in the end, you start to get into your head of, we're playing together again. And you really enjoy it, mm. being with your friends, making music. And you just have to imagine the, the the audience out there. Of course, the amazing thing with a jazz gig is that immediate feedback you get from the audience, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and the to, heckles and the, just the, the, the buzz. Yeah. And to not yeah. have that. So I, I've watched many live streams from The Six and, and other places. And of course, the song comes to an end and there's nothing. There's nothing. They're <laughs> <laughs> just missing that certain something, aren't you, to finish yeah. the gig off. Yeah. And and it was even more strange this week because Joe Harrop co-presents his show with me once a month and she had to do a gig. I was asked to do a gig recently where all the musicians, bar her, had to wear a mask. And of course you say, well, I read off their faces. You know, it's, yes, it's so hard. Yeah, How absolutely. Get... The whole world, it's, it's a thing so of bizarre. change right now, well, isn't it? Well, I, I, um, at the beginning of July, it was the 1st of July, Italy opened up before England. And my biggest audience is in Italy. Mm. I, I played to very big audiences out there. So um, I was the first international artist to go back to Italy. And I did a really interesting project about the Beatles. And it was a theatre project, but it was in sort of amphitheatres and lovely outdoor concerts. We even did a concert in the out outdoors in a prison. And uh, there, because they have wonderful weather, they're able, even though they've only got a limited amount of people they can have there, it's still a huge amount mm. because you're playing in the outside. Mm. So you are still playing to 500 people rather than 1,500 or whatever, you know. But they are nearly all wearing masks and that that, that side of it is still weird. I guess even looking yeah. from your stage point of view, looking out and just seeing this sea of masks. Yes. And it's, it's strange, I'm sure. And, separate, and they're all separated. Of course, so Unless distance. they're a family. Yeah. Unless they're a family and then they're all allowed to sit together. But even though I was out walking the other day and it's becoming commonplace now, you look down and you see strewn masks on the floor and you just think yeah. a year ago we would not have imagined that masks were commonplace now, would you? It's, yeah. no. This no, no. year has been a year of change. Now, I always try to come into interviews prepared, but we've kind of gone off at tangents and that's sometimes yes. fun as well. And you mentioned yeah. how popular you are in Italy. Now, I know you're well-travelled, yeah. but what is the particular love affair between you and Italy? And Italy. Well, when I, I've left drama, I went to drama school, I trained as an actress. Yes. Yes. So I was going to be an actress, not a singer. And uh, I, I answered an ad in the Melody Maker in the stage for an Italian rock band that wanted an English singer. It was kind of a Janis Joplin type vibe. And, you know, like most actresses, you know, I wanted to be in a band and I answered it. I, I, I had about three or four auditions and I got the part. So I went to live in Italy. Mm -hmm. I went to live just outside of Florence and then in the centre of Florence. And I travelled around with them and we were supporting a very famous rock act out there. And they were kind of a blues rock act. And then, uh, so that was the beginning of my love and, and, and relationship with Italy. And then I came back with the Communards, and then I came back, and in 1989, for my first solo album, I supported Simply Red all over Italy, all over the world. But in Italy, they thought that I, they thought that I was a double bill to start with. They didn't treat me like a support act, and they thought because of the hair that I was possibly mixed Something, sister. yeah, yeah, yeah. Something to do with them, some relative. And so... Uh, I had the most fantastic press, the most fantastic feedback, and I had a number one hit at that point. And so that helped. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, I took part in something called the San Remo Song Festival. And it's where they celebrate Italian song, but they usually involve international artists to collaborate to sell that song. Usually it's, it's usually the last day, whatever. And I'd done it once and 
this time I thought I'd quite like to write the song with the artist and not just do a, uh, an English version. So they, they said yes. And we won the San Remo Song Festival. It was Grace Jones came second with the band that she was with. And there were all sorts of wonderful artists there. I mean, there was Leo Sayer, there was Carmel, you know, great people. And so that catapulted me to to be in everybody's home. It was, you know, you were seen by the grandparents as well as the children, as well as the people of your own age. So it was it was that succession of, of events that led me to be a household name and that, that allowed me to have several hits there. And is it odd, I mean, presumably you're still quite a young lady at that point, and is it strange when you come home that you're not as well known in your own home as you are well, overseas? Well, you know what, it's, it, it ended up, I mean, start with it was weird, but then it turns out to be, you know, it works in your favour. You can have a real, an ordinary life. You can get on with things. Your, your children aren't, uh, they don't become a target of target, the press. Target, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, every now and again, you know, if we were on Top of the Pops 2 or whatever, or usually if Italians were in London, I would, that's when I would be stopped and mm. so recognise you and things. And what was interesting was because I, I had supported, I'd been a support act at Ronnie Scott's. I think I did my first gig there in, what would it have been, about 1980, 1980 when I was still at drama school. Mm-hmm. And it was a Sunday night. And then eventually in 1994, I did a support slot and I was rung by Pete King um, the next day. We were doing a whole week saying, can we record your week? Because we've, a, we've got a record company and we've got a studio upstairs, but you're the one who sold this week out. All of your Italian fans are in. <laughs> and, and that catapulted me to being a headline act from yeah. then on. But I, I recorded what became Ronnie Scott's biggest selling album, Blue Valentine, from that week, from that break, thanks yeah. to the Italians. Now, uh, we're looking into your very early life as a wee little Sarah Jane, it wasn't exactly textbook, was it? You know, the family life sounds as if it was eclectic. And odd and was, individual. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, particularly your father seems to figure quite largely as a very larger-than-life character, did things his own way, yeah. Machiavellian in many ways. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there were stories that I've heard that you even had a helicopter at one point. And... Yeah, I mean, not, none of it we owned. You know, I don't know how he... He had the gift of the gab. Right. He came from a very wealthy family that I don't really know um, because he married my mum, who was working class and written out of the family. One of those horrible sort of scenarios that we have of snobbery mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. And um, so we had a very different sort of growing up to our cousins who went to Rodine and places like that. You know, we, we, we had a very different life. We went to comprehensive schools and, and never owned a house. And he, he lived his life as if his mum and dad would pay the bill, but they never did. And so we, we moved in the middle of the night, usually avoiding oh. the official receiver who was coming to take the furniture. So. But he, you know, he managed to convince uh, everyone that he was almost a lord, you know, because mm. he had the, he had the, the air, the, the, the grace, speak, yeah. the air. But he had no money whatsoever. You know, I, I literally this house that I'm living in now is the first house that I've ever owned. I'm now sixty-one. I, I got it when I was sixty. I I've been um I've been that tra- that traveller that, mm. that was set up that that's that journey for me was set up by my father and i was a renter my entire my entire adult life uh but i did uh, you know as a child we were moving several times a year we mm. i went to 13 schools so uh, I wasn't exp- putting roots many of them. putting roots down and making friends was not impossible then i take it yeah 
but I, I have fortunately, you know, I have kept in touch with quite a lot of people that I was at school with because there was one school that I was at longer than others. And, um, and they have been sort of lifelong friends, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, wherever I lay my hat is, is my home, you know, it, like the song says. Mm. And, and what I do is cause I'm in so many hotel rooms, except for this year, I take, I take something, I take music to listen to. I'll take a candle that I'll burn. I'll take things that make that room my home Yours. for that, for that time, you know, and and again, the kind of conversation we're having at the moment would lead me to believe that music wasn't necessarily a big influence as you, on you as a young young girl. No, no. Uh, I'm except my dad had. Uh, I mean, my dad. We had always had a piano, and my dad he would play in the middle of the night. You know, you'd, you'd wonder what the hell was going on. He'd go down and he'd be naked sat at the piano creating <laughs> unbelievable music sounds like but, a scene from monty python almost <laughs> yeah it very, very much it was very bizarre but um we we didn't you know we didn't learn music ourselves there was just always a piano to mess around with um this pianola that you you pedal away and you can make your friends think that you're a great pianist you know? so but, uh, you ended up but, at drama school i went to drama school but i went to drama school as an accident once again it was uh my dad when i was 17 went to prison and I was his only defence witness, and I was very involved in his case, and I very much believed he was God. You've had a you life, know, haven't you? Point. You've had a real life. <laughs> it was quite an interesting one. Perfect would be a songwriter and a musician <laughs> and a traveller. Yeah, I was going to um, say. But he, so he, he went to prison, and um, I got into drama school, and I also got into art college to study ceramics, because ceramics was really my favourite subject. And I'd, I'd won the school prize. Um, but I left halfway through my sixth form because that's when dad went to prison and I had a bit of a breakdown and I found myself going to the local tech about six months later. And that's when I studied the drama and I studied, um, ceramics. And so I went to see him in prison at this point, he was in an open prison mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, he produced, he, he knew nothing about why I'd, I'd come to ask him which course he thought I should do. And he produced and put on the table because it's like a canteen when you go to an open prison. You see your family around the table and there are all the other families around you. And he put on the table this incredible, um, it lo what looked like a drawstring leather bag. Mm -hmm. It was made out of stoneware. It had no glaze because they didn't, they weren't allowed glazes. And he put it there. And I remember thinking, okay, drama school. <laughs> and that's how that's I ended up by going to Central. And that's how it all started for you. That's how it all started. And of course, because of that. And you went to drama school, but not as a singer. I mean, theatre. I was and, an actress. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had no music. I've had. I never studied music at school. It was not really. I mean, I used to sing. My. I had. I have six brothers, and the, the youngest one was. I was fourteen when he was born, so I used to sing him to sleep. Um, and I, I can remember in in the lower sixth, um, I was asked to be in uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan's. What was it called? The Mikado. And at that point, I just, I suppose I discovered that I'd got this really low voice. Mm -hmm. And I remember people at school saying, God, that's great. But that was really the only time. And then when I, when I went off to drama school, yeah, it was to be an actress, but I, I didn't stay. I didn't complete the course. I felt very out on a limb. I didn't felt feel like that we you fit. I, I didn't feel I fit. It had something to do with having a father in prison, having a huge chip on your shoulder, mm -hmm. not belonging anywhere, not mm -hmm. having any money. Everyone in my 
everyone at Central at that time in my head seemed to be the son or daughter of someone famous, you know, not my story. And, well, it's, it's, I mean, I've had odd brushes with drama school and, you know, the, the people that come from drama school. And there's definitely a type without sounding too pigeonholy. There is a type. And you're right. You always associate, oh, their father was in this television programme or did these adverts, yes. you know, or even it was just walk-on parts. You know, they've always and got that link. of course, they weren't all like that. But you, I felt yeah. everything was out of proportion for me at that point. Well, a, I mean, so I left with a huge chip on my shoulder. Yeah, and with your life experience of what you'd been through, and as you say, you had a brother that was 14 years younger than you, your father was in prison, and, you know, it was, yeah. it was a tough old upbringing that you had it was and and the way you happened to cross your voice was was well through billy holiday but not through listening to billy wasn't it yeah it was um a guy that had so when i left drama school the third year which i wasn't part of um i i'd, I'd remain friends with them and one of them wanted to get their equity card but but played the piano so what we did was we teamed up and in those days you could do as long as you spoke between songs, it was deemed cabaret so that you could get your card. So he taught me uh, at the piano. That's my dog in the background. We you always welcome the pets. We always oh, welcome yeah. the pets. That's Harrison, who's <laughs> probably telling us that someone's at the door. <laughs> anyway, um, he, uh, he, he taught me songs at the piano. Um, and they ended up by some of them being uh, Billy Holiday songs. But I didn't hear Billy sing them thus there's no influence sing them. exactly and i'm glad because otherwise i would have probably mimicked her but uh, as uh, it started my journey of of interpreting other people's work but not but changing it and making it my own because i think there's no point in covering a song unless you do that no a, a cover's got to be treated uh, with great judition because otherwise it's a pastiche which no one needs yes, if a song was yeah. great once there's no point in just reinventing it. So you need to yeah. bring something new to it, don't you? Yeah, don't, you have otherwise to personalise it. Yeah, which is obviously a strength yeah. of yours. It's something I've done over the years because it, it took me years to become a songwriter. Mm. You know, I, I think, um, especially after I had a bit of a pop career, I think I, I imagined that the Tom Waits of this world would write me songs. I got to know those people, but they didn't get to write me songs. And uh, so I had to kind of pay catch up. And, and it took me years to become a decent songwriter. I mean, I had I picked up where I'd left off, you know, which had been as an A-level student writing writing poetry, you know. So a lot of my early albums, you can hear that, you know, even though I was probably thirty or something, I I sound like an eighteen-year-old with the lyrics that I'm writing. But you've got to do you've got to go on that journey. Are you words first when you're writing? I'm words first. Yeah, yeah. I write poems. Ah, oh, right. That's the way you go about it. Because the, the, the very art of songwriting fascinates me. Not being musical is, is probably one of my biggest regrets. And I speak to so many wonderful musicians and the fact that you can sit down and emote and create and write a song, yeah. which hitherto never existed, fascinates me how it gets to that point. And yeah, you make I mean, it something I, beautiful. I, I love you know? writing with other people. I think I'd write the same song over and over again if I didn't collaborate. Mm. And I've collaborated with some wonderful people. And that, that stretches you and that takes you off on a slightly different journey. Uh, but what I tend to do is I tend to write a stream of consciousness as a poem. I then go back to it. Sometimes it's a complete song. Mm -hmm. Sometimes just from start to finish, you don't have to correct anything. But usually you go back and you think, you find, you know, is, is there, a, is there a, a line that could be a chorus or the beginning of a chorus? And you start to pick it to pieces mm -hmm. and put it back together as a song. But I allow the stream of consciousness to happen first. And do you find you have to be in a certain place emo emotionally to sit down and write 
Yeah, I think you do. I mean, I'm not I'm not like Nick Cave, who 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 he uniformly sits down in his office every day and writes. So it's I, like a business. He can, he can just yeah. yeah. I can't do that. I mean, he's a genius songwriter. But what I tend to do is, um, I mean, I don't have a television, but I, I listen to the radio, or it's, it's often it's 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 some exchange on Facebook or whatever that that I hear about something that interests me, and mm. then I will do my research, and 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 then I'll try and write somebody's story mm. from that. In like, for instance, in the album that I did uh, called Bloody Rain with Tony Remy. Um, a lot of the songs were musically African melodies and rhythms because we both we both had absorbed that along mm-hmm. our musical journey. My first or second band was an African Caribbean Latin band in the early eighties, and I'd absorbed all of that. And it was coming out in what we were writing musically together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I I wrote about I wrote a song from that about Robert Mugabe. Uh, bloody rain mm-hmm. uh, because i i was very aware of, of 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 the kind of leader he was and the kind of carnage around mm-hmm. and so that that helped me go on a journey but i told the story as if it was um uh as if he uh, had his great rela- i introduced him as a human being to start with you hear about him with his daughter mm-hmm and that connection. And then I tear him to pieces. <laughs> you know, there was another, I heard on the radio also, it was a, it was a, it's quite a, quite a few years ago now, but it was, it was a, a court case and it was about, and then eventually the sister got up in court and said, yes, I saw my father kill my sister and he was aided and abetted by my mother. Mm. So it was about honor killings. And I called that no Beyonce. So it's got a, a totally different title to that which you would expect it to mm. be. And mm. we made musically, we made it beautiful so that the melod- melody carries you along. If you choose to read those lyrics or to really listen to them, then you'll know what it was about. Mm. But I'm not hitting you over the head with a song about honor killings. It's just, you know, it, it, I, I, it's, it's often something on the radio that triggers something. And I'll then you go. That I thought I'd die I thought I'd die And I'd gone to hell Just looking for the water From a deep well Well I went to the river But the river was dry I fell to my knees And I looked to the sky I looked to the sky And the spring rain fell I saw the water From a deep well ready for love, I was ready for the money, ready for the blood, I was ready for the honey, ready for the winning, I was ready for the bell, just looking for the water from a deep well. Well, I found me some love, yes, I found 
me some money I found that the blood would drip with the honey I found I had a thirst that I could not quell Stuck it for the water from a deep well Yes, I did it for faith. I did it for lust. Yes, I did it for hate. I did it for need. Oh, I did it for love. Addiction stays on tight like a glove. So I ran with the moon, yes I ran with the night The three of us were a terrible sight The nipple to the bottle, to the gun, to the cell To the bottom of a hole of a deep well Listen well Stuck and pour the water from a deep well And well, just looking for the water from a deep well. Just looking for a deep
looking for a deep well. Finishing off that first part of the interview with Sarah Jane, I told you it's quite a story to tell. Deeper well and more from Sarah Jane in a little while's time. I mentioned that we had a track lined up on this week's show that features both Julian and Jackie Hicks, who stream with us at the club this coming Saturday. And that plays next on this week's Straight Ahead. And we're going to be listening to Falling in Love with Love. Listen online, on DAB and on smart speakers. Straight Ahead with London's leading music venue. The 606 Club. Um, falling in love with love. Falling in love with love is falling from me. Falling in love with love is playing the fool. When the moon was full I was unwise with eyes Unable to see Oh, I fell in love with love Everlasting But love fell out with me Falling in love with love Is falling from me Falling in love with love Is playing the
falling from me, falling in love with love is playing a fool. I carry too much, you're such a juvenile, but I'm sick. And learning to trust is just for children in school. Jackie Hicks, ladies and gentlemen, what about that? She's wonderful. Jackie Hicks. Thank you very much. And you can watch both Julian and Jackie on Saturday and Gwyneth Herbert on Sunday, who we've got later on in the show, streaming from the club live this weekend. Go and create yourself an account if you've not yet done so. 606club.co.uk is where you can do that. And then for a very small music fee each week, you can watch these fine artists from the comfort of your own home. Time now then that we get back to this week's guest, Sarah J. Morris, and we've got Head and Heart ready at the start of the second part of the interview. There's just no way to say how much I love you. You never made me cry, that's just fine I've only got my fear to put above you You know we all get scared from time to time Just love me with your head and heart Love me from the place it starts Love me with your head and heart Love me like a child There's just no way to say The things I'm feeling No way to tell you All the things you mean Cause every day I only feel like stealing A way to where I know I can be clean Just love me with your head and heart Love me from the place Stars. Love me with your head and heart Just love me like a child Just love me with your head and heart Love me from the place it starts Love me from your head and heart Love me when I'm wild
I'm going to come back to your relationship with Tony Remy in a moment, but we have something in common that people of under a certain age won't know. Paste up. Graphic art paste up. Oh, gosh. I, too, use Letraset. My dad had a print company, so I started out learning with paste up. The the board where you literally take typesetting and paste it up. Yes. Letraset, put it in a camera, and you actually shoot to film. Wow. Making plates for the press. So I saw that, that you studied graphic art and uh, well, paste up I, artists. I, yeah, exactly. And I was... I, I know it's got nothing to do with music. Graphics, but <laughs> but, I, but it was in a way because I was at Yukon Graphics and uh, with another young guy. Uh, you know, this was before I went off and started touring as a musician. Another guy there was Les, who was in Haircut 100. And he was there as a paste up artist at the same time. And neither <laughs> of us knew what would become of us on this journey. So a couple of questions I've got for you. We, we know, obviously, that you did become a singer. When did you find the confidence to know that you were a singer and that you had a voice that you could go on stage with and tour with? Um, Singers got a tough gig. They really do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, th- I think when I was trying to get my equity card, um, it was the it was before the days of of the internet and and you having your own photocopier and whatever. And so each time I would get the contracts and send them off to Equity, often they'd get lost, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have made a copy. And that happened two or three times. And one of those journeys was I joined once again through the Equity, uh, through through the stage through the stage. I joined this um, cabaret band, um, and they were based in. 
Western Supermare. Okay. And they were doing, we were doing everything from Streisand numbers to you name it. But this was all part of me trying to get my equity card. And we were doing all of the Northern Clubs. And that is one of the hardest audiences <laughs> to work. I've heard because this they before. have not come to see you. Yeah. They've come to win at bingo and then you <laughs> go on afterwards. And and I think when you and also uh, the wine bars that I played in, because once again people aren't coming to see you, you're 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 there in the background and mm. they'll possibly buy you a glass of wine if you pay a, a request song. But you learn your craft that way. The proper you hard roots way. Find, yeah, the hard roots way. And I think it, I, I'm very glad I had that. It was tough at the time. My God, it was tough. You know, we would often go on people thinking I was a strip act, you know, and people would be banging the trestle tables going strip, 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 because <laughs> I'd be into my third Streisand number and they'd wondered why I hadn't taken anything off. You know, it was that kind of an environment. But it's, it's good training. Now, of course, you're so far from being pigeonholed, it couldn't be further from the truth for you. I mean, the... the, the the array of music that you perform. And you've had a big pop career, as you mentioned. I mean, you've had a lot of success with the Communards. I think yeah. with Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart as well. Early on. Yeah. Early so, I mean, you've had, yeah. you know, it's not as if you've decided I'm just going to be a jazz singer. I mean, possibly now you're best known for your jazz work, or certainly performing at the jazz clubs and, and Yeah, festivals. I think it's more than I've, I've played at the jazz clubs, but I'm definitely not considered a jazz artist. No. Um, not by the jazz world at all, um, and because I've had this pop career, because you know, that can work against you. Well, absolutely, it can. Yeah, because then there is a. I mean, I love my jazz. I'm not going to say anything detrimental. Let me phrase this carefully. There's a a rarefied world sometimes that thinks you can't transcend the world, the realms of both worlds between being yes. a pop and a jazz singer. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I I I see myself as an R and B singer that dabbles. I mean, my roots are back in the seventies. You know, I grew up with with war, with all of the Motown, with Janice, with um, the Meters, mm. with Little Feet. Some proper funk you know. outfits, yeah. Yeah, and that, that, was, that was my, you know, that was what I was listening to and what's influenced me the most. And um, I am a dabbler. So, you know, I know that I couldn't start. I've got many friends who are incredible jazz singers, like Leanne Carroll, like... Uh, Ian Shaw, you know, many phenomenal. And they, they, they have established themselves as jazz artists. Mm. But I'm a dabbler. Uh, I, I am probably more of a soul singer that I can sing jazz, but it's not what I really know Not who you about. are, yeah. It's not really, you know, I, I, I love it, but it's, um, I, mentioned... I wouldn't define myself as a jazz no, singer. No, that's the thing. As I say, mm. you, you really, you're not. You're not that. You, there's no moniker handing on you as such, which possibly yeah. is a good thing. And uh, speaking of pop, we had Alex Webb on the show many months ago ah. during the summer. And he was actually saying, and defending pop, saying how incredibly complex good pop music can be to write. Absolutely. It's far from being and, a 4 4 repetition. It can be a very. And, and also, there's always been good pop and mm. there's always been bad pop mm. just like there's good jazz and bad jazz bad mm. jazz you mm. know um a good song can be covered by so many people <laughs> in on any in any way mm. you know that's that's the sign of a good song there was some fantastic i mean i was part of the 80s scene for me some of the the, the great um songwriting in the 80s came from prefab sprout from japan mm-hmm. um from from that kind of an artist you know, and I mentioned the communards. You were part of their big hit song, weren't you? Don't leave me. Yeah, don't yeah. leave me this way. You were yeah. part of that whole big yeah, success. It was a duet. It was yeah. a duet. And I, I'd been at this drama college that I went to before I went to Central. 
uh, Richard Coles, he came along a few years later and he was there with my brother. Mm -hmm. So that's how I knew Richard. And so he joined uh, Bronski Beat right at the very tail end with Jimmy. And he brought Jimmy along to meet me when I was doing a minor's benefit because I was in this fantastic 25-piece Brechtian big band called The Happy End. And we had with a coal miner's, a Kent, Kent miner's wife called Kay Sutcliffe, we wrote Coal Not Dole, which... Mm -hmm which became the anthem of the strike. Jimmy was very involved through Bronski Beat with the minor strike. So we had that in common and he brought him along to meet me. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a fantastic union because he was this rather petite, red-headed man with an incredibly high voice. And I was this very tall, red-headed woman <laughs> with a very low voice. And we just thought this was fantastic and we played with it. And that then went on to be our success. Yeah. But we had a great time while we were doing it. No, it's, it's, when, again, it's just the, the breadth of music that you performed. You know, there really is no limits to you. And saying that there's no limits, what do you think is next for you? Where do you see your career going? Assuming for one moment that Clubs, op a, cl yes, clubs open up and you can be back on the stage, maybe with an audience in front of us, which sounds like it's kind of going to be the way for a little while at least. Um, yes. Wh wh what plans do you have at least? Do I have? Okay, so it, um, I, when I went back to Italy, I started to do this project that is, is, will go on for several years. And it's, it's basically looking at the work of the Beatles, but it's with a string quartet. And so they're very unusual versions of the Beatles songs. And because I've got a baritone voice, I sound nothing like, like John or Paul. Mm. So we've really changed those. So that's a project which is a theatre project, but it's also an album. I'm, I'm going to be recording it in this next month. And uh, the project, it's called Who Killed the Beatles? And, and it's an actor who is on stage in prison uh, who is Mark Chapman, who, mm -hmm. who murdered John, John Lennon. Lennon yep, yep. So all of this is a play that's going on and I'm feeding in and out with these beautiful songs. That's one thing that there's a project that's ongoing. I'm also in the middle of, of recording an album with, a, with a, a successful producer who I've worked with before. And uh, we're taking pop songs and changing them. So that's another thing I'm recording at the moment. And I'm also writing an album, uh, which I will be doing with, with Tony and my, my band. Uh, um, I'm writing an album where I am celebrating those incredible women that have influenced me over mm. the years. So I'm writing original songs that celebrate them. So that's yet another project. I mean, I'm, I'm in my 60s now, and I really wanted between my 60s and my 70s to have been doing a different album or project every year. I want to kind of, I'm at the, my best vocally at the moment. And so I don't want to lose that. I want to just be as vital as I can be. And before we let you go, I just wanted to speak about your latest album, The Sweet Little Mystery, which I know features Tony Remy. And I was mentioning that because Tony is coming up on the show. We've recorded an interview, so Tony will be coming up sometime oh, soon. So the, your, work, your, yes, your, work, your work relationship with Bag of Wire, as I know, his, uh, his, his Facebook Miller. name. Yeah. <laughs> and he tells us but, all about why his, his nickname is Bagawar, but we'll let that oh, come yes. out on his interview. So your yeah. relationship with Tony goes back a while, doesn't it? Well, we go back a long way. We, we both, Tony was in Ian Shaw's band, and I used to do lots of duets with Ian Shaw just after the communards, uh, when, when Ian was having a bit of a pop career. And so that's where we first met. And then he helped me do some demos. And then we wanted to work together over the years. And whenever I contacted him, he was never free because he plays with so many people and yeah. he had his own career. And then it just so happened that 
my two guitarists, which were Kevin Armstrong and Neil, Neil McColl, Neil had gone off with David Gray and Kevin had been asked back to play with um, Iggy Pop. He hadn't been playing with him for years. He of the wonderful and voice, the draw. He of the wonderful voice, yeah. <laughs> and so suddenly I'd got this tour, but I hadn't got two guitarists and I was very much working with two guitars. And it just so happened that I was coming out of the dentist where I was living in London and Dominic Miller was, was going in. And I've known Dominic for years. And Dominic is Sting's guitarist. And I knew him way before he was Sting's guitarist. And he, we just got talking. We had a coffee together. And it just so happened that the police had reformed. So there was no Sting tours for quite a long time. So he was up for the gig. And I rung Tony at the same point. And Tony had done the Sting tour, well, as in he'd done it with Annie Lennox. And so knew Dominic. And it just so happened that Tony was free. And they became my two guitarists for about five or six years. And then uh, Dominic went back to Sting because, I mean, it's a, it's private jet as opposed to easy jets <laughs> with me. <laughs> and, and so that's when we got Tim Cansfield involved. And I, I went a long way back with Tim Cansfield anyway. He played on many of my albums. Mm -hmm. And so the combination of Tim and Tony is just fantastic because they both have uh, unbelievable talent as guitarists but they don't have this huge ego mm. and they both are listening musicians and and they're kind of feeding in and out of each other and it's it's just beautiful and i've been playing with both of them now for many years mm. so we did this what we did was uh, a year ago i thought i i wanted a, a break from songwriting because when you write these songs about um, of people's broken lives, you absorb a bit of it. Of course. And I, I needed a little bit of a break. I was, I was uh, a bit saturated by sadness really, mm -hmm. of, of, other, of, of, of what the world is doing to itself. And so I was talking to Tony and I said, I'd like to visit someone else's body of work to give me a little bit of a break. And the one singer that I've been singing his song since, I think I'd started doing it in 1997. I started singing a John Martin song, Don't Want to Know About Evil. And I used to do it as an encore, as a peace song in the time of war. And I said, he's got a bar I've got a baritone voice. I wouldn't have to change a key because normally I have to change. Mm. And they're the only artist I cover because I've got this really weird voice for a woman. And, uh, and, and I said, but I could only do it with a great guitarist because he was a phenomenal guitarist, not just a great singer-songwriter. And Tony said, I'm up for the challenge. So I went to his home uh, every couple of weeks. We'd get together, really in his kitchen often. He'd just sit on the top with his acoustic guitar. And uh, we'd listen to several songs. And then we'd go, yeah, quite like that. Do you think we've got a take on that? And we'd change it because, mm. like I said, you don't do a cover unless you change it. And we ended up by doing an album which paid homage to John Martin. It was 10 years since he died. Mm. He died at the age that I then was, which was 60. Yeah. And we took, we took the project also up to Glasgow because I managed to do a duet with someone who I'd been in a band with in the early 80s, Eddie Reader. So my duet, one of, one of John's songs with her, and she used to sing with John. So there was that connection. And then what happened when we finished the album, we, got, we, we had Jason Rebello involved. We had friends of mine from the Communards who did strings. A lovely array of people guesting, as well as my band. We mm -hmm. recorded it live. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I thought, I'd quite like to take this further and take this to the Edinburgh Festival, but we need to turn it into a show. 
So with my brother, who's a filmmaker, I went around the country and I interviewed people that were his family, his friends, fellow musicians, to get an idea of him. So we had this as the film. And I managed to get, based on all of this, an Arts Council grant. I've never applied for a grant before. I've never got it. And they're not easy to come by. And it was just perfect for me because I would never have been able to to do it otherwise. And then I happened to be doing a benefit with um, a comedian that I had grown up with. He'd done the same circuit as me, um, the wonderful Mark Thomas. And he's a big fan of jazz. And we were just talking about what I wanted to do with this project. And I said, I don't suppose you'd direct it, would you? Because, I mean, he has such a wonderful relationship with, with Edinburgh. He's won so many Edinburgh firsts with his own show. And if anybody knew how to put a show together, it was him. And he said yes. And so because I got the grant, I was able to pay him. And we, we put this show together. We took it to the festival and we won, um, we won an award. And so we would be, this, this year would have been us touring that show all around the world. Mm. Um, but what we will be doing, was we will be doing it, you know, we're, we're, we'll be doing it at the 606, um, which is on, because now we're coming out of lockdown, mm-hmm. we're going to be doing the 606 on the 13th of December. Mm-hmm. And that will be... I, I did a live stream with Tim and Tony, at, 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 like I said, in Ronnie Scott's, but that's the only time that all three of us have been together since we were at Ronnie Scott's last January. Mm-hmm. So it'll be, it'll be wonderfully emotional for us. And you're allowed an audience again. Again, yeah. And you live stream. Yeah, and just explaining with people listening, it's really simple with the six. You log on to their website, 606club.co.uk. You create yourself a free account and then you pay basically a price a pint of beer to watch these fine musicians from the comfort of your own home so if you can't get into the club if the numbers are obviously restricted you can watch this great band from home so and and it'd be fantastic if people do because it's the only way we can really all get enough money to make it worthwhile the club and us exactly that yeah so i always like to let people know where they can find out more about you and all your socials so if you're looking for sarah online her website is sarahjanemorris.co.uk on twitter it's at sarahjanemorris3 I'm guessing the Morris was taken. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I smiled. Uh, Instagram, it's Sarah underscore Jane underscore Morris. And on Facebook, it's Sarah Jane Morris Music. So there's loads of ways you can find out what Sarah Jane's up can to. Can I just go back to the six? The Absolutely, six. please it's do. Just, I'd love you to. Um, I I was married for 25 years to one of the Pogues. Okay, so that was a huge part of my life too. And then when I got divorced and I moved down here to St. Leonard's, I met this wonderful man who became my second husband. I met him at the 606 and we got married at the 606. Oh, what a wonderful story. So I've got a really nice relationship with that club. Oh. And I go back to the very original club. The King's Road. Which was numbers in the King's Road. And I knew Steve all the way back then. So that was my early days of trying to get my card was singing in that club. And Steve's been so with I, you all those years. All the way through. He's a dear friend. He's a gem, isn't he? It's fantastic that he runs that amazing club. I know in, in the normal days, people don't can't really underestimate the amount of work that goes into running seven days a week, twice Absolutely. on a Sunday. Yeah. It's an, a phenomenal amount of work that it Steve really puts is. into running that and, club. And, and world-class musicians. Absolutely. through there. Yeah. yeah. It's a fantastic club and it's a musician's club still, which is what I really like about it. You know, the amount yeah. of times you get a, a musician on a night off will come to the club just yes. on the hang and watch. 
So, yeah. Sarah, it's been marvellous. Your story is fascinating. What you haven't Thank done. Thank you. <laughs> it's been really entertaining. You're, you're so Thank varied, you. so easy to talk to you. So I Thank will be live you. streaming. I will be watching on the 13th. It can be Thank my little pre-Christmas cheer up. And we'll be doing quite a few songs from the John Martin album. Good. But we'll also be doing some from our back catalogue and possibly some new ones. Perfect. So, yeah. Sarah, that's been marvellous. Thank you so much Thank for your you time. So Thank much. you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Sleep, you've been moving through solidity. 
Finishing up the interview with Sarah Jane there with another one of her tracks, Solid Air. Wonderful, wonderful interview. Thank you so much, Sarah. And next week on the show, being the last show of the month, it means that Joe Harrop is back with me and we have already been talking about what we're going to play and there's so much great music around. We've got a busy show lined up full of great new music, so I hope you can join us next week on Straight Ahead. But now, as we've uh, not got that much longer left on this week's show, new music from Brian Molly and his quartet. Uh, this is a track lifted from the album Colour and Movement. We're about to listen to Jacksonville. Straight Ahead with David Lewis.
and beautiful voice of Gwyneth Herbert, who is streaming with us at the club this coming Sunday, as I mentioned. More now from Zoe Gilby and her brand new album, Aurora. This time we're going to listen to the All Night Diner. In the diner, all night smoking A neon sign flickering out of time at the roadside The window booth welcomes a long travelling road blues aroma Apple pie, grease and spoon A regular hobo Miles from his home Susanna with a smile Takes the order, takes a while When you whistle A creaking stool Truck stop Pot belly yearning food Deep fried Finger licking Tastes so good Awaits you. 
Along traveling road. 
my grease and spool A regular hobo Miles from his home Susanna with a smile Takes the order, takes a while When you whistle A creaking stool Truck stop Pot belly yearning food Deep fried Finger licking Tastes so good And the album Aurora is going to be available both as a physical CD and as a digital download from Friday the 16th of April. And all the details are over at zoegilby.bandcamp.com. Thank you for your company over the last couple of hours. Don't forget to join Joe and I next week on Straight Ahead and we play out on this week's show with a track I mentioned we had from the John Ray Trio. And this is We'll Never Meet Again. I'll see you next week. <laughs>